Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. And we're really happy today to welcome um, another guest onto the podcast. Um, today we're talking to Alicia. Um, Alicia is an ex-Jehovah's Witness and has uh, quite a story to tell. So welcome, Alicia, to the show. Hi, guys. <laughs> no, thank you very much um, for coming on. And um, I guess, yeah, we'll just jump jump straight in and just ask, you know, if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm 34. Um, I was brought up as a Jehovah's Witness from the age of four. Um, so before that, my mum was brought up a Catholic. I'm like one of five um children and the youngest my mum's got two uh, three girls to a previous marriage and then she's got me and my brother and my dad um so yeah my elder sister is in her 50s um and I'm in my 30s so yeah so basically my mum ended up studying with the witnesses when I was about four or five nice. um so I don't have very many many memories before that of I think I've got one recollection of putting baubles on a Christmas tree. <laughs> that's it. I've got got nothing else. Like the rest of my life was yeah. obviously so obviously I was then brought up um, a Jehovah's Witness up until I was eighteen. So what what was that like? So I guess um, so obviously as a as an ex JW myself, brought up in the in the organisation, um, all the normal stuff I suppose, having to sit out of assembly at school, no Christmas, no yeah. birthdays, all that stuff? Yeah, none of that. But she did make up for it with present days. Ah. So although we obviously never had Christmas, we never had yeah. birthdays, hmm. it could be quite a lonely time in school. Hmm. Uh, you were always singled out. You were always the Jovo kid, as they used to call you. <laughs> um, funnily enough, though, I have a niece who's we've got four months between us so my mum and my sister were pregnant at the same time but my eldest sister ended up coming into the truth as well um before my mum actually she overheard my mum's studies um and I think she was always frightened that we were going to get wiped out by a nuclear bomb at some point <laughs> so that made her over here listening a bit more and she ended up getting baptized before my mum so we ended up me and my niece were being we were brought up like sisters really yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, we went through not primary school, but we went through the whole of high school together. For you, I guess, what was the experience like when you were younger? Um, I think in the early days it was difficult. Like I've got children now, so I can imagine. Well, I know what it would feel like for them if they were constantly having to get out of assemblies 
to out any activities on Christmas every time Christmas come around. It always felt like a dread rather than mm. because mm-hmm. because you just knew that it was going to be a sort of big situation where everybody was joining in with all the festivities and all that. And you did always feel like you were missing out on something. Um, didn't always get what the big deal was about kind of not being involved in Christmas and things like that. Um, and birthdays as well was, you know, I grew up never celebrating anybody's birthday and never celebrating mine. And yeah, it was it was hard. You kind of just get used to it. It's just, and like yeah. I said, my mum used to always make a big song and dance about present day. She would mm-hmm. all she would decorate the front of the house and everything Aww. because obviously she 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 grew up celebrating Christmas, so she knows yeah, she, so knew, she knew what it was like. It. Yeah, yeah, and she knew what it was like and what we were probably missing out on. Yeah. Um, but I think the teenage years, none of that really bothered me that much. Obviously, a lot I met a lot of people in the truth, but like you socialize like you'll you'll probably know this. Like you meet people from everywhere, and you have friends everywhere, and you just go out like with friends. So you always had that distraction. Like I chose not to go to my own prom hmm. because I was allowed to do that. My mum said, you know, if you want to go to your prom, you know you can go but I yeah. chose not to go mm. because I ended up going out with my witness friends instead mm-hmm. so as you get older and you get that circle that social circle and you go in here there and everywhere with everybody you actually don't actually miss any of that because obviously I did feel quite left out with my friends when they used to go out drinking mm. on the park <laughs> doing all the stuff that teenage kids do thinking but I never felt at that point that I was missing out really because there was always witness parties. There was always they were always socialising. There was always something to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you, you know when you're raised um, in whatever sort of organisation or culture or whatever, you you just treat it as normal, don't you? Really. So although you might yeah. you might see other people doing different things, yeah, yeah. From from your own perspective it doesn't feel that weird because it's just the way it's always been for you. But as you get older, I suppose, then you, it does, it does start to, um, to sometimes get a bit more difficult. So, um, so did you believe in all the doctrines and all that stuff? So did you, uh, believe in things like, um, you know, Armageddon and the paradise earth and all that sort of stuff? Oh yeah. Like everything. It's all I've ever known really, isn't it? Mm. So even to this day, I've been away from it for, 15 years or more it still has that impact on me hmm. obviously you're a bit more in limbo now because you're like well what what is going to happen when we're when we die like where are we going to go if, if i've come away from being a jehovah's witness and armageddon is is definitely because i'm just fellowship is definitely not gonna i'm not gonna get into this new system <laughs> where am i going and i thought <laughs> but it is very much like fear as well like when you were growing up and you knew I mean I suppose it was nice having that hope the hope that this life wasn't the end that we would go on and if we lost anybody we love that was always I found that very comforting to think mm. that well this isn't the end but then I couldn't quite get my head around it either if I did have any questions about stuff that I was couldn't quite grasp and it would make me mm, I'm not sure about that like and I need to dig a bit bit deeper. Like, for instance, they say that um, death is the um, 
basically would wipe your sins out and things mm. like that. Mm. So my question used to be to my mom, well, what about Hitler? Mm. Does that mean everything he did and he even tortured Jehovah's Witnesses, mm. would he get into the new system because he died? And he's, It's a great question. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I used to put her on the spot quite a lot because I was very curious that something didn't quite sit right with certain things with me. And she would be like, the kind of thing that every religion gives you. Not like it's one of God's mysteries, but it, you know, Jehovah knows what he's doing, basically. Jehovah reads hearts and all stuff like that. Mm. But then I find the whole Jehovah read hearts a bit, now that I'm disfellowshipped, I know I'm a good person, I've got a good heart, but I definitely won't be getting into the new system because I'm disfellowshipped, but I have got a good heart, so will I? So mm. a lot of stuff like that as I was growing up, I used to question a lot, and I think it used to wind her up. <laughs> I would want to know more, but I suppose not. she didn't necessarily have all the knowledge. And you get referred a lot to publications and things like that, don't you? Yeah. And young people's ask, the, uh, young people's ask book and all that. And, yeah, I think, especially in my teenage years, like later teenage years, I did start to question some stuff. It's interesting um, the amount of people that get referred to the young people ask because I guess it just makes you think yeah there must be a point at which yeah you get to a certain age and you do start asking a lot of questions that's like the reason that publication exists because it's just like yeah there's probably a lot of parents or guardians that didn't know what to do with all of those questions which is natural yeah, to come yeah. yeah you know just because you've always been in it doesn't mean that you're not going to start questioning it but yeah I think people used to say there's someone in an interview they said they didn't even um get pointed to it they just opened the book and left it on their bed at the right page <laughs> you know it's yeah. just like signifier <laughs> um yeah you were, you were brought up by the books more or less like <laughs> in in being a jehovah's witness it was all about the bible obviously any other publication watchtower you name it there'll be an article on something you're asking about and that's where you get the answer from yeah somebody um, else said that didn't they um uh, it may have been Donna actually that, that said. I think it was. Donna, yeah, yeah, that it, she was raised by the Watchtower. Really, that any question she had, it was always uh, directed towards that. Which you know, yeah. I mean, I remember the Young People Ask book coming out, um, and they've had a few iterations of it um, while when I was young. But I remember when the first version came out. You know, we thought, oh, this is great because it's now going to tell us how to, uh, you know, what to do. And it was, it was basically, it wasn't about doctrine so much. It was all about how to live your life, wasn't it? You know, what sort of films you should watch, how you should uh, treat members of the opposite sex, how, I mean, obviously sexuality was very simple as far as Jehovah's Witnesses are concerned. It was, um, you know, stay away from anything that was um, sexual at all, um, what sort of, movies you should watch who you should associate with uh being obedient to parents it's all very very strict and uh yeah that that was my memory of that of that book yeah there was things that didn't sit right with me like homosexuals for instance yeah if a person could choose to be gay they probably wouldn't choose to be gay and this is the argument i used to have yeah. so when i was sat in the living room and if I used to like, like watching Hello Oaks, like I always have done. And if any kissing of the same sex came on, it was an instant, get that off my telly now, turn that off, that's disgusting, blah, blah, blah. And I used to sit yeah. there and I used to go, but they can't help that. I was like, the same way we can't help me in straight, they can't help who they love and who, so why are they being like sort of cast out for it? Like, yeah. 
it's stuff like that like never sat right with me that a person just needs to be happy they need to do what it it, it, it may do they need to do so to make them happy it shouldn't be a case of obviously we've got to follow some rules in life otherwise the world would go to the pot but yeah stuff like that I just didn't like I thought well you, you wouldn't it was very homophobic that's how I saw Absolutely. it it was really really homophobic mm. yeah, and I didn't is. like it yeah so is that like one of the things you start yeah so you sort of started to see things that were you were questioning did that carry on as you got older I then think, yeah it would, I think the ultimate thing that made me decide that this isn't for me anymore was not all the people obviously there's some very amazing Jehovah's Witnesses but I used to socialize a lot I used to see people doing things they shouldn't be doing at parties and whatever else at home when I used to go around friends parents house doing things that would be clusters probably them having a talking to or being disfellowshipped or having some sort of counsel but then they were then turning into the kingdom hall and putting their hands up and answering and I used to sit there thinking, well, that's very fake. And I, mm -hmm. I remember the more I got older and one of the in incidents that happened that made me think I'm done was one of my friends. We were out socialising with some uh, brothers from uh, the West Midlands way. Um, she got drunk. I didn't. I didn't drink anything. I don't think that night. Um we got a home obviously she was being sick and stuff like that and I got labeled bad association because her daughter got drunk so I was like hang on a minute I didn't even drink I can't stop her from doing what she mm. wants to do mm. and these were the same people that used to get drunk themselves most weekends used to wear use bad language and everything else mm. but then had the audacity to call me bad association and then I literally just sat there and thought why am I a part of this why am I a part of these people who, you know, I did, I did, I did have quite a hard time with some, you know, teenage witnesses in from the meetings that used to give me a really hard time. Um, used to be quite cruel to me, and I just thought, yeah, this isn't Christian. Like this isn't. Some girls would really be not very nice and ring me and tell me horrible things, and I used, and then that happened obviously with that situation I thought I'm out like I don't want to be a part of this this, yeah. this does not feel Christian to me that's interesting so it's I mean it sounds like a bit of bullying really doesn't it um from what you're describing there um and that that behavior started to make you I guess have doubts about the whole religious setup well, really. I was, yeah well I was told not to associate with my own friends in the world that were worldly who did immoral things but then I was going to these parties and seeing immoral things happening yeah. and I was going to my friend's parents house and seeing immoral things happening and I was like so I can associate with these people because the pastor's Jehovah's Witnesses even though they're probably leading a worse life than some of my friends outside mm. but I can't associate with them I found that whole situation growing up very very difficult like who I could go out with what friends I could have what boyfriend I could have mm. uh, if they you know people that I was very close to in the world who had been friends with since I was four years of age bad association worldly I didn't like it I didn't mm. like 
I didn't just because they didn't have a label of following the Bible that they weren't good enough to be around and I and I, I very much and I still probably have this problem now of never feeling good enough I think mm. that is the impact of what that religion did to me is that I just wasn't good enough no matter what I did no matter if I went on the ministry all the time or if I answered up all the time or if I didn't either way I was classed as the same I just wasn't good enough and so yeah it, it, it sorry it became quite quite difficult like yeah. your self-esteem well, yeah. why do you think you received that message how I mean it's not the, the first time we've heard that and I recognize that myself Where, where's that coming from do you think um, that I don't feel good enough yeah um I suppose it was the friends that I went out with, the the phone calls that I used to get to basically say that I wasn't a very good Jehovah's Witness, right. which used to make me laugh because I didn't do anything, anything I wasn't supposed to. I still got it anyway. Obviously, that situation that I have with my friends' um, parents, that that knocked me. And I, I had a boyfriend in the truth as well when I was 17 who finished me um, because he told me I wasn't perfect enough. Mm. And I think that's the kind of standard they're constantly given, like, all the time is that you've got to, you've got to tick these boxes or you're just not good enough. And no matter how hard you try... It just still isn't quite good enough. Hmm. So, yeah, it was... You constantly felt like you're chasing your tail to the point where you thought, why am I even bothering? Because yeah. it's just never going to be good enough. When you, you know, sort of... Did you have a moment where you decided not to go or did you try and fade sort of thing? When No, I just literally went into one last meeting. Mm-hmm. I think this situation has happened with my friend's parents and mm-hmm. I literally went, I'm not coming back anymore. Like, that mm-hmm. was it. Um, mm-hmm. And fun, funnily enough, they tried to get me to go around for tea because my mum was obviously distraught. Mm-hmm. I was only eight, eight, 18 at the time, I think. Um, they were quite distraught and, yeah, they wanted to backtrack because they felt like it was them that pushed me out of the truth. But actually, it was a, it was a lead-up of a lot of things. Yeah. We didn't we didn't have a very solid stand in the truth, because my dad wasn't a Jehovah's Witness, and he was a drinker, and he was a football fan, and, you know, he used to get drunk, he used to get abusive, and that was our home life, and it was hard, because he would be very violent towards my mum, and as kids, that was really, really difficult. So then there would be times my mum would miss meetings for weeks on end because obviously she didn't want to kind of show her face because she'd be covered mm, in bruises. Okay. It affected her mentally. Mm. And, it, and, it, and so we weren't a very strong... It was just kind of me and my mum towards the end, all my, like, my middle brothers and sisters, and, you know, didn't want to go anymore once they got a certain age they didn't want to go and um, so it was kind of just me and her and I always felt we never really had that support right. like I had a father so because you, you get classed as like an orphan and a widow don't you when mm. you when your other parent isn't isn't going yeah and it wasn't even like it was 
just my dad didn't go to the meetings. It was a hard home life. It was it was horrendous. Um, and I always remember my mum wanting to um, divorce him or look at divorcing the dad because of what was going on. And she did go before some elders to speak to them about it. And their response was, unless he's committed adultery, she couldn't divorce him and remarry. She could separate from him if she wanted to, but she could never remarry again. And I used mm. to sit there and think, hang on a minute, this woman's life's being put at risk weekly. Mm. And the way God talks about us respecting our body and things like that and how our life is precious. But yet she was in the firing line most weeks and she couldn't divorce him scripturally because he, well, he, apparently he had committed adultery, but she'd forgiven it. So there was no, that was it. There was no going back. And it, it, and it was stuff like this, like that rocked my faith a little bit that I saw my mum going through that all the time, but yet she couldn't walk away from him. Otherwise it wouldn't look that great. Or she couldn't remarry and be happy. Like she, I just wanted her to be happy. Obviously, she didn't have a very good life, and I just wanted her to be happy. That's what she needed—just some happiness. Yeah, that sounds really awful. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't great at all. Mm -hmm. So, tell us a little bit about your leaving, Alicia. You, um, you, you find the strength to make that statement. Look, I'm not coming anymore. This is it. Um, what happens then? Um, so, yeah, I was about 18. Obviously, I devastated my mum. And I think a lot of me sticking at the truth for as long as I did was because, one, I didn't want to leave her going alone to the meetings. Um, and two, I didn't want to hurt her. Um, it was the last thing I wanted to do. But I think at this point, I thought, I'm just not happy. I'm not happy. I've spent my whole life being controlled um, on who I could see and what friends I could have and what I could wear, what I could watch, everything was controlled. So, you know, I am very much like my mother, you know, <laughs> um, and I'm, you know, like my independence and stuff. And I kind of was you now like, this, is, this isn't for me. And obviously I went at 18. Um, I moved out from my mum's. Obviously I could, you know, it was still her house. She still was the Jehovah's Witness. She still had these rules. I did move out when I was 18 and um, went to live with um, some friends. Um, and then I ended up um, meeting a guy um, around um, being 20, um, which I knew from um, my childhood. Um, he was best friends with my brother growing up. And he was there quite a lot whenever my brother used to try to escape the war zone at home. So he'd go and stay at his house a lot. So, yeah, I ended up getting in a relationship with him. Um, and my mum was fine. You know, I hadn't been going to the meetings for a couple of years at this point. Um, and his mum died of cancer. Um, and the house that he lived in, he could no longer stay there because um, it was a council house and she died. So the, he needed to move out. So we moved in together quite quickly into our relationship it was within six months of our relationship yeah we moved in because otherwise he would have been homeless there was no chance he could live at my mum's uh, with me that's a no-go um so we got a house uh, a few doors down from the kingdom hall because my mum lived on the same road as the kingdom right. hall so we lived a few doors down 
from my mum and the Kingdom Hall. And my mum lent us the deposit to get this house. Mm. And about four months, four or five months into us living together, maybe not even that, um, I get the letter through the door um, from one of the elders from the congregation to say um, I needed to meet um, with them. Uh, I can't remember what night it was. It might have been a Wednesday. I'm not 100% sure. But I needed to go and meet with them and uh, two other brothers, two other elders at the Kingdom Hall. And I knew instantly. I went, I'm getting this fellowship here. I knew straight away. So I ran my mum. I said, I've had this letter come through the door. I'm getting disfellowshipped. She went, don't be daft. You can't get disfellowship. You've not been going for two mm. years. Mm. Exactly my thought. Exactly <laughs> what I thought. I thought I'd disassociate myself, wasn't associating with anybody other than my mum. Mm. It didn't actually necessarily matter what I was doing, um, which actually isn't the case. <laughs> so I got this letter, and apparently, even if you don't go now, I don't know if it's, it's 100% true, but I would have got disfellowshipped anyway. Mm. So I decided to go to this meeting, and to say <laughs> it was awful is an understatement. I was a 21-year-old girl. I had three men asking me about my sex life. Mm. Um, yeah, which was really awkward because it's not something I'd speak to my own father about, so I really did not feel comfortable in this situation. Um, had been told that I was living with a, with a guy, obviously, I wasn't married to. Um, my defence was I didn't think I was doing anything wrong because I wasn't living a double life. I wasn't coming to the meetings anymore and I hadn't done for years. Mm. I was referred to with, that I was wicked. So I got read the scripture about remove the wicked from your congregation, which had mm. me in floods of tears because as, as I'm not a wicked person. Mm. I wasn't intentionally mocking the religion either by living with somebody I wasn't married to. In my Nobody ever questioned me the two years that I was away. No one ever came to me and said, did you know what you're doing is going to get you just fellowship? because it would have been a completely different story because nobody wants to get this fellowship. We know what comes after it. It would have been a completely different story for me, for instance, if my brother-in-law or my sister, you know, my brother-in-law was an elder or he might have been a ministerial servant back then, I'm not sure, would have just given me the heads up, hmm. what you're doing is going to cause you to get this fellowship because I would have re like rejigged stuff and I would have made sure that I wasn't going to end up getting my half my family cut off from me mm. but nobody said anything to me noel came and gave me a visit just to say you know so until i got this letter i had no idea what i was doing was wrong um mm. i don't think it helped the fact my house was on the same road as the kingdom hall because i think i was made an example of to be honest yeah mm -hmm. because people that have left who are baptized who left the truth who live an immoral life in the eyes of the Bible, but nobody's ever pulled them up on it because they're out of sight, out yeah. of mind kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. But I was like I was probably rubbing it in their faces, which was not my intention at all. I just didn't think I was doing anything wrong. So, yeah, in this meeting, I got asked very uncomfortable questions, didn't want to comment on, um, did believe that you needed to have two witnesses. I might be wrong, but two witnesses, if you're committing any sort of, Obviously, that's never going to happen, but for you to actually mm. have something, you're supposed to have, have more than one witness, I think it is. 
Um, but because I was living with him, I think they obviously just put two and two together. Um, and somebody had informed them that I'd gone on holiday to Egypt with him as well, which I thought the only person that knows that is my brother-in-law, mm. really, that could have reported that back. So then I kind of thought, is my own brother-in-law gone and behind my back here without even coming to me? Like, because mm. how else would the elders know that I've gone to Egypt with him or, you know, because my mum definitely wouldn't have gone in and reported me or anything like that. Um. So, yeah, so... I was in floods of tears. I always remember one elder who's not with us anymore saying that I was faking my tears. They weren't genuine. Um, he got quite angry with me. One of the other elders told him to sort of back off because it was genuine. I did genuinely feel heartbroken. I wasn't. I knew what I was about to lose. Mm. I also knew, well, I also felt that it was never my intention to disrespect the religion or anything like that and like I said I would have done things differently if I would have known but yeah regardless your living your life shouldn't rattle theirs so heavily that do you know what I mean that you can't do what you want to do and live how your your life doesn't doesn't and shouldn't affect their life or rub anything into them people live their own lives and you know this is yeah it, it's it's very sad how they react to things like this and yeah have to like you said in your words make an example of somebody um that's how it definitely came across that I was made an example of especially because a lot of witnesses will walk past our house to get through the kingdom hall um so yeah they they asked me to leave him um and to basically was I sorry um and I said and obviously, I'm not sorry because his mum was just died of cancer. He needed me. I love him, obviously, at the time. Um, and I, I don't know what you want me to do. And he said, so, yeah, so you need to leave him and then come back to the meetings on the Tuesday. And then they would, they would obviously, I would be shown that I was repentant. Um, so I said I couldn't do that, that I couldn't leave him in that sort of situation. Um, and they asked me to leave the room so I left the room while they made the decision and I came back in and they said as of Tuesday you'll be announced as being disfellowshipped from the congregation and um, basically obviously my mum, my sister my nie two nieces and my brother-in-law wouldn't be having anything to do with me from, from that point so yeah I went home and I remember being absolutely terrified that I'd have to deliver this news to my mum. I know it was going to break her heart. Um, and, yeah, well, I didn't ring her. I got my sister to ring her. I completely like, was like, I don't mm. want to do it because I just knew. I think when I knew I was getting disfellowshipped, I sort of rang her to prepare her mm. because I knew it would break her heart. But when I knew for definite I was getting disfellowshipped, I just couldn't deliver that message. So, yeah, my sister rang. And obviously... My mum was in absolute floods of tears and has barely had anything to do with me since that day. Well, it's really it's really sad. I'm sorry to, to yeah. hear that, Alicia. I mean, um, I think it's worth just pausing for a moment because you, you, are, you show so much more patience and grace than I would have done with, with that situation, you know. Um, you, you've left a religion. You don't want to belong to it anymore. You're not interfering with anybody else. You're, you're, as Celine said, you're living your life. Uh, 
with somebody that you wanted to be with um and what gives three men the right to challenge you and tell you that you've got to stop that relationship otherwise they're going to take some of your family away from you that's just not acceptable in my view no, mm -hmm. no um, not. And, and i understand that you you recognized what the consequences are because they do have that power to uh to take your family away but actually you yeah you, you had nothing to f f to feel sorry for or apologize for you know but they kind of stuck you in that position which i think is appalling i really do um so i'm really sorry to hear that so alicia you 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 get this fellowship this this thing happens they've done it to you do you want to tell us a little bit about what that was like, uh, what some of the consequences of that were? Oh. If you I want to, you remember. don't you, you don't have yeah, to. Yeah, I just remember feeling back then like lost because my mum I spent every day with yeah. and my niece, for instance, because um, there was only four months between us, I spent a lot of time with her. Obviously, I've got other sisters and a brother and my dad and that weren't Jehovah's Witnesses, but everybody needs their mum. Like, even now, I'm 34, and I've gone through so many life things without her, and she's she's always the person that I need, like, every time things get difficult. So I think that's what's been the hardest. The hardest thing for the, for the whole of this is... is Having my mum, like her not dying, but having to treat it like she's died and, you know, needing her, but knowing she is actually only around the corner, but I can't really call her for you to be there. There's been a lot of, you know, things over the years that I've needed her for, like when I had my sons and I was a single mum and that was difficult and I didn't know if I was making the right decisions by my boys and and things like that and she just wasn't there and that has obviously given me a lot of emotional issues over the years because there's been some hard times in my life and um, I wouldn't say my, my life's been easy since I've stopped going to meetings it's been far from it Um, you know I entered relationships that were controlling and abusive I had children um, with people that weren't great and went through uh, hell and back and didn't have either my mum or my dad because my dad was an alcoholic so mm. and he's, a, he's now dying of dementia so it's always been very much from that moment I got this fellowship I knew I was alone yeah but it, I still never did what I needed to do to go back because I'm not a person for holding grudges because I just don't think it's a good thing. I think it, it weighs you down if you hold grudges. But the way I was treated over the years after being disfellowship, I feel just not, it wasn't, I don't know what the right word is to use, but it just wasn't loving. And it wasn't, I mean, for instance, I was pregnant with my first son at 23. Um, I wasn't living at her, with my mum, obviously, and I did ring my mum uh, and told her I was pregnant and their view on abortion is obviously 
she didn't give me she said I know what her view was but I was on my own I knew I wasn't going to stay with this guy and I knew what the view on it all was but really deep down it it wasn't what I wanted anyway it was just I didn't have that support network and it was and it was frightening and I ended up obviously going ahead with the pregnancy and it was the best thing I ever did because he became the light of my life and the reason that every hard day I've pushed through. Um, and there was, you know, I did actually go back and live with my mum while I was pregnant for a bit um, because I needed to save up. I needed to get a house for me and my young, uh, eldest boy. Um, so I did go back and I did actually start going back the meetings for a little bit. I think it was a, like a bit of a, I'm bringing this person into this world and I know this world can, it, it can be quite scary. And I think when you're in the Jehovah's Witness bubble, you feel it's somewhat quite protected, but it didn't last very long. I think I went back for about eight weeks before I had a run in with elders that made me feel like I'll never ever go back again, like ever. Um, I was five months pregnant with Ethan. I just found out they thought he had Down syndrome. Um, then they said it was could be Edward syndrome, which obviously is severely disabled too. He wouldn't have survived after birth. Hmm. Um, they wanted me to have um, the amnio needle in my stomach which I refused to do because I knew there was a chance of me losing him. Yeah. So I decided not to go ahead with it. And that day I'd got all this information. I was trying to process that. There might be something wrong with my baby, but I knew I was going to go ahead with the pregnancy anyway because I was going to love him no matter what. I, the elders wanted to come around and see me. So I'd been going back for about eight weeks or so. And... I sat down with two elders and they basically asked me, was the only reason I was coming back because I was having a baby and because I couldn't go out with my friends and get drunk. So after hearing what I'd heard already at the hospital that day, I was not in a good place as it was. And I basically said, I want you to go. Mm -hmm. And I never, and I didn't go back after that, which then left my mum in another load of fuzz tears, going to the meetings, heartbreak all over again. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, I've just found out that something could be wrong with my baby and I am being asked if my motives are genuine. Hmm. It's not, how is the baby? How are you doing? Is everything okay? You know, it was, you know, is your intention? The minute you've had this baby to go out and get drunk and blah, 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 well, now it's to look after my son, obviously, when he, when he gets there. Yeah. So... There was in there was there were time that time and then there was times when I was pregnant when obviously because a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses that can walk past our house to get to Kingdom Hall would shout over to my mum, ask how my pregnancy was going, how was the baby doing, blah blah blah. Hello, I am stood here, and that the whole you're invisible to people because you're now disfellowshipped. You're you're not a human being anymore. You're not like no one acknowledges you and. That never used to sit right with me anyway when I used to go to the meetings and people got disfellowship. I never ever got how you could just treat a person like that. It, it never sat with me when then I was in the firing line myself. Mm. It was that that I thought, I don't want to be a part of that ever because I would never treat a human being like that, especially a pregnant one. Yeah. Um so yeah, there was there was stuff like that that 
you know, made me realise there was definitely no going back for me. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, if I die in this life and never get into another life, then live the life I've got here and now. So, yeah, for you, it was definitely, it wasn't, you know, so it, there's, you know, some people come at it where they're like undoing all the doctrine and that's what did it for you, but it was like the people and the way that they acted and, you know, their behaviour on the day-to-day was what really did it for you. Yeah, I've never really read too much into mm-hmm. the teachings and how wrong the teachings are and things like that because I just kind of feel like I've made the decision to not go back. What good will it do me to sort of try and prove that that religion's right or wrong? Mm. I don't think it would... It, I don't feel like because that wasn't really the reason I left Mm-hmm. that it would do me any favours anyway mm-hmm. like I probably would find out a lot um, about about the religion but I just don't see, see the point really and you know sort of consuming yourself with the negativity mm-hmm. that I was brought up for as many years as I was in my life and it would be mm-hmm. lied to I just think you know I, I've come away and I'm, I'm making my life as best yeah. as I can now without the people that I love obviously it's hard um but you know I'm out of the sort of control a part of me feels like maybe that's why I went into quite controlling relationships as well mm-hmm. because I've been spent most of my life being brought up being controlled mm-hmm. and it was sort of the norm to me that that is the way that's how uh, life is you when they quote unquote yeah. love you mm-hmm. yeah basically mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you've been through um, a really horrible set of, of situations, and and yet you, um, you know, you, you come across as somebody that's that's confident and has made um, a success of their life. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you how you did that? Because I think it's always important to hear people's stories about you know how they they manage to find a path through those experiences and to look forward is there anything you can sort of tell us about that alicia um a lot of therapy <laughs> <laughs> so i've had years and years and years of therapy um i have a family around me by my sisters um that are amazing people they are my mothers in disguise like that's you know they are who I go to I think without them I probably wouldn't have done it I wouldn't have been able to you know there has been some really dark times in my life Mm. like really dark times where it felt like you know there was no way out kind of thing and I think them and my children definitely my two boys are what has got me through all of this because I am a, a woman that is very strong and I think my upbringing and the religion and that has got a lot to do with it Um, but I'm determined obviously now that my children have the best life that they you know I love Christmas and that now like Mm. seeing my little boy's face light up on on a Christmas morning doing all the stuff that I never got like Mm -hmm. you know they put on the reindeer dust out and and all of that all that excitement that we get. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's expensive and you kind of wish you didn't celebrate it anymore. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think, I think 
it's having good people around you like friends i've got friends who i've been friends with since i was four years of age you know i've recently got married she you know my best friend who i've been friends with since i was four years of age she was my maid of honor you know she knew a lot about the religion what we were brought up in and she was quite interested and stuff but she's no matter how many times i had to walk away from her because she was a worldly person she's always been waiting there kind of thing so yeah i think it is i think it's it's it is it's it's therapy it's family it's determination to at some point you've got to think well am i just gonna let this destroy the rest of my life or you know do i grab hold of the life the only life i might have Mm-hmm. which is what I find really sad with my mum because I think what happens if there is no new system and you miss out on the opportunity of being with me, the opportunity of being with my sons and what happens if after this new system, uh, sorry, if this new system comes in, it doesn't even exist. Mm-hmm. What happens if that isn't, and she's wasted her whole life, not not a whole life, but a life, you know, not having anything to do with me and my children and I just mm-hmm. think it's, really sad and but obviously she's very mm. I don't like to use the word brainwash but yeah it is mm. brainwashed like mm. very very brainwashed and believe it or not I'm 34 now and I came out when I was 18 and my therapist still says I'm very much still brainwashed by that religion parts of me are still quite brainwashed it never really the damage never really goes and I've had to obviously do a lot of work on myself in order mm-hmm. to keep moving forward. Otherwise, I would have just stayed stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes a lot of work. And it's always, I think, yeah, the therapy thing, that is really important. We all, you know, we do talk to people that, um, you know, do therapy. And, and and it is always really useful. And it's, you know, good to hear people like yourselves on the podcast talking about going through um, therapy and going through that period of time where you're sort of yeah just discovering all these things about yourself and coming slowly coming out the other side because it's nice for people to hear that and know that at the start of the journey seeing someone else already on it and knowing that they could do that too I think that that's something that people really find helpful the person I am now is not the person I was when I was Mm -hmm. 20 years of age I've always had a good heart I'd say Mm -hmm. but I have come on a lot more leaps and bounds since that point um by doing the work on myself basically um and you know it's even it's silly things even now like watching horror films mm-hmm. anything's got I always think slightly in the back of my head am I letting the demon into my house here like mm-hmm. literally because that's the type of thing that I was taught and there's always these little niggly things that still stay with you like you know what happens if there is another life and you know me and my children aren't going to get into it and just loads of little things that I have to obviously work through with a therapist quite constantly because mm-hmm. it did give me severe anxiety mm-hmm. um, and OCD for a very very long time mm-hmm. yeah it's it's these uh, you're being conditioned really aren't you when you're when you're young to think in certain ways and th- certain patterns of thinking and that's I guess what part of the therapy is helping you do is to sort of get break some of those patterns of thinking that you that you've been trained to uh, mm-hmm. to, to think about constantly and 
uh, sort of sort of break that those um, those habits, those thinking habits, I suppose. But it's it is difficult because we we heard it. You know, I, I often use this word because it's the word that is used by the witnesses. But we were inculcated. Um, we were, uh, you know, told about this means this and this is the way that you should behave and this is what's going to happen if you don't and that's constantly taught to you that's told you over and over again at the meetings in the family um and and you, you know of course you're gonna you're gonna take that in so i understand it's it's um it can be really really hard to to put all that to one side i mean yeah. i always think about all of the other religions you know it um, if you're ever tempted to think, oh, mate, what if they're right? You know, well, why would they be right and all the other hundreds and hundreds of religions wrong? You know, they all have their own myths around what happens if you don't follow the teachings of, of the religious leader that they want you to follow. So these are all the same. They all have the same threats, although dressed up in, in different clothes. But they're all basically trying to get you to do the things they want you to do. So it's no different with Jehovah's Witnesses, but I I do totally understand that you are conditioned, and it it's, it takes some breaking free. Mm-hmm. I think it gets better though yeah. as you get older. By the time you're as old and grey as me, um, you know, <laughs> it'll be gone. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a work in progress. It really yeah. is, and I think it probably will be. I think I'll never get over the fact that I don't have my mum in my life, and then when yeah, she eventually course. does die, it'll be. I've already gone through the grieving process of not having her. Mm-hmm. But even when I walk through a street and she sees me and pretends I'm not there, it still mm-hmm. hurts the same way it did all that time ago because she's mm-hmm. my mum. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still yeah. a human being at the end of the day. I've not, you know, gone out and murdered anybody or anything mm-hmm. like that. I literally mm-hmm. was with a guy that I wasn't married to. And it's not like I was even living a double life at the time. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. I find it all very especially when my mum will see people or be around people that don't all living together that aren't married, but just because I was a Jehovah's Witness and got labelled this fellowship, yeah. I'm an outcast, you must go kind of thing. And that's another thing I found very hard. Yeah. How old were you when you were baptised, Alicia? 16. 16. Same as me. I was 16. And, you know, at 16, um, you're still not, you're still officially a minor, um so you're being asked to make a decision at at 16 which has such big consequences you know later and and i think that's that in itself is wrong really um because it you don't realize that time do you it definitely should be an age limit on it because i'm not going to lie i got baptized at 16 it's all going to come out now i got baptized at 16 because being a young being young everybody's goal was to get married yeah. and it was a lot of my friends got married so young and then they got divorced years later and that is the only issue with it but you couldn't get married unless you were baptized mm. and you know i always thought that that was the life so basically you get mm. baptized you meet somebody you get married you live this life in the truth mm. and that was basically your life set out so, yeah, 16 years of age is definitely not a decision to be making where potentially you're going to wipe out the majority of your family if it goes wrong. Yeah, it should definitely have an age limit on it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, because yeah. it's younger and younger, isn't it? Um, lots of relatives of mine have been like 12, so. 
you know, tiny, tiny. They're not even, they're barely in secondary school, you know. And even at 16, I was unaware. I never thought I would get disfellowshipped, I'm going to be honest. Mm. Like, I thought I was going to be in the religion for life. Mm. I thought I was going to marry a man and then and that's how it would just go. Mm. Um, but it didn't. But at 16, I would have had no clue that getting disfellowshipped was going to cause all this damage that it has done and left me living a life where I've basically been alone mm-hmm. um, for, for most of it. So, yeah, I, do, I don't agree with allowing children to get baptised because it's a... You wouldn't. He wouldn't let your child get married at sixteen, would you? It's a it's a big life decision. It's massive. They need to be a bit more open about the consequences if you don't basically abide by what you need to once you're baptized. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's more consequential than getting married, isn't it? Because you know, if you get married and it it doesn't work out, you, you get divorced. Yes, it's it's messy. It can be very difficult, but. Um, that the consequences of being disfellowshipped, as, as you've, you know, very clearly described, are much more serious, really. You know, um, so uh, it's one of those areas that, that I think does need to be looked at mm-hmm. because of the consequences. I don't have a problem with children wanting to, um, you know, dedicate themselves to God if they really believe it at whatever age. But to have those consequences tied into it is is the problem mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Um, you really... Yeah, told a really important story. I think when you reached out, um, I said to Dad, yeah, we really want to get Alicia on because it's a really important story, what you want to tell us, because I think a lot of um, a lot of people experience the shunning thing and a lot of, um, you know, women do experience the, the, you know, the horrible three elders sitting them down and having that conversation and these things, and we've not had that covered so i think it's really important that your story is being told so thank you for reaching out to us to tell your story yeah i i want to double that or second that really uh, alicia mm-hmm. thank you so much uh for talking to us about that i think um mm-hmm. yeah it, it brings it home actually the the damage that um these policies have mm-hmm. on real people and um it's yeah it's it, it's not just a matter of uh, you know, people can believe what they want to, and absolutely they can. But it's the consequences to to other people's lives, and mm-hmm. I think you've you've very um, eloquently described that. Also, I think yeah, you know, it's great for others who are perhaps in the beginning of their journey coming out to to know that there are other people that have uh, gone through that and come out the other end. Yes, okay, it's a lifelong journey of uh, of continually working on it but you know you, you you've shown that you can do that and i think that's that's fantastic so well done yeah you've just got to be strong mm-hmm. believe in yourself you don't want people to go through what i've been through it's not nice mm. but it does make you a very very strong more resilient person mm-hmm. and it makes you feel proud that you actually like when i think i could have easily gone back just to have had my mum in my life mm would have been the easiest thing to do but no I knew I could make this life on my own and anybody that has chose not to be in my life it's on them not on me absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. 100%. well Alicia thank you so much for sharing your story with Thanks. us and, and our listeners uh, today really really appreciate it and uh, good luck with everything you do in the future thank you Alicia 
Oh, thanks so much, guys. Nice speaking to both of you. Yeah, that's really nice. What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production.